So this morning's reading is from Daniel 6, verse 6 to 10. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, making Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, today we continue the series Emotionally Healthy Spirituality with the theme Discovering the Rhythms of Silence and Sabbath. Silence and Sabbath. I wonder what you're thinking, where your mind is going when you hear those words. It flows on from Megan's sermon last week on accepting limits because there are limits contained in the idea of silence and Sabbath because they place a boundary around us within which we learn to listen and where we learn to stop before we become overextended and burn out. So the limits that we heard about last week continue through this theme of discovering the rhythms of silence and Sabbath. When Megan asked me to speak on this theme, the book I was reading at the time was Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Non-Stop World. So Megan had given me the choice of speaking on this theme or something else of my own choosing. And I thought, well, that book I'm reading at the moment really kind of confirms for me that, yes, this is what I need to be speaking on uh, for today. So that's what we're doing. But it's a challenge for me. So I'm speaking from the standpoint of someone who is still learning about the need to integrate healthy rhythms of silence and Sabbath. I don't know it all. And I might never know it all. I've always been wired to be active, uh, to work hard, to do my best. And uh, the words of my dear father still ring in my ears from, you know, a little child. Lynette, whatever you do for the Lord, it has to be your best. You know those scripts that, that, that get into you? There's nothing, it's actually really, really good because we were brought up in a family where what happened for church had to be done well. Now, that's not a bad thing, but when it kicks in with your own uh, personality and some of your dysfunctions, it can become a real burden too. 
So that's going on for me, but also within me for a long period of time has been an inner call to stop and shift my attention from outward activity and draw close to God and listen. So those two kind of extremes have been in me for a long time. When I was in primary school, which is a long time ago, back in the 1950s, we used exercise books. Anybody else remember using exercise books in school and teachers too? And remember ruling a margin on the left-hand side of the page and uh, you didn't write in the margin? Sometimes the teacher would write comments in the margin. But you know, rhythms of silence and Sabbath create margins in our life. They provide space, space for God to write his comments to us. Space for God to speak into our lives. Space to ease off the accelerator and gently apply the brake and slow down. Space to be aware of the presence of God who never leaves us but whose presence can be clouded by the cares of life. Yesterday, Apple and I visited my parents who are 95 and 96 and just recently went into aged care, and in a fortnight they'll be celebrating their 72nd wedding anniversary. Dad writes a daily journal, which I read every time I visit, so I can follow up any concerns, because he puts in these little notes, talk to Lynette about this, or find out what has been happening. Now, Dad had over 50 years in active ministry, before retiring, including over 20 years as a voluntary hospital chaplain. And I read, uh, because I was there last Monday, I read what had happened through the week. And this is what he wrote on Tuesday, 95-year-old man. Another day gets underway. I can't escape the sense of God's presence. Why should I? I don't really want to, for it is beautiful. It is nearer than breathing, closer than hands and feet. Have breakfasted and been to hand massage. Now, I included that ordinary detail about breakfast because life is about the ordinary and discovering the divine in the midst of all of our mundane activities that happen day after day, week after week. Spiritual rhythms and there are many of them, and we're looking at silence and Sabbath today, help us live in those ordinary times, knowing that God is with us on the mountaintops and in the valleys and everything in between. That's what spiritual rhythms do for us. And along with silence and Sabbath, there is another rhythm that is helpful, another practice, and it's called solitude. It's different from loneliness, solitude. When we enter into solitude, to be with God alone, without the many distractions of our daily lives, we feel anxious and tense. When nobody speaks to us, calls on us, or needs our help, we start feeling like nobodies. Then we begin wondering whether we are useful, valuable, and significant. Our tendency is to leave this fearful solitude quickly 
and get busy again to reassure ourselves that we are somebodies. But that is a temptation because what makes us somebodies is not other people's response to us, but God's eternal love for us. What makes us somebodies is God's eternal love for us. To claim the truth of ourselves, we have to cling to our God in solitude as to the one who makes us who we are. Because in solitude, God tells you or lets you know who you are. It's a wonderful quote from Henry Nouwen. It's why the psalmist says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Now, why are these rhythms of silence and Sabbath needed? Being productive and getting things done are priorities in our world. We live in a 24-7 world, a culture of noise, information, activity, entertainment, social media, shopping, work, and hundreds of choices which distract us from paying attention to our souls. There is no shortage of options which clamour for our attention. This affects all ages, children right through to elderly people. Work creeps over the nine to five boundary through emails and unfinished projects. Even the rhythms in the life of a church can become demanding. None of this is bad. It is good to be involved in contributing positively to life, but the danger is when it gets out of balance. Think of a pendulum swinging between solitude and community, work and rest, stillness and action, silence and word, involvement and retreat. Somewhere we are on that swinging pendulum, sometimes up that end, sometimes up this end, and then sometimes in the middle. In this picture of present-day culture, there is a cry in every human heart, every human heart, to be valued for who we are, not what we do. Who am I when the work roles are stripped away? When I am on my own and no one else sees me? When I am not responding to external demands, who am I? If we stop long enough and silence the voices, both external and internal, we will experience the blessing that Jesus heard at his baptism and that sustained him through his ministry. This is what Jesus heard at his baptism. You are my beloved son. My favour rests on you. Now that's what Jesus will tell you. That's what God will tell you in those times of silence and Sabbath. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. My favour rests on you. Jesus wants you to know that blessing, your identity as a beloved child of God. Our own experience, our own life experience and our observation of the world around us indicate that there is great restlessness at the heart of humanity. 
And it's a restlessness that God has placed there in every human being, whether they acknowledge God or not. We're created in the image of God. So we have God's character, God's qualities within us. We're born with them. But sometimes the cares of the world, sin, evil, things we get involved in cloud that. But that restlessness will drive us to our knees before God. God, who am I? I want you to tell me who I am. I don't want to rely on what the world tells me or what my own distorted perception of myself tells me. Well, what do we learn from the Bible about this? God gave us a blueprint for rhythm in our lives. The opening chapters of Genesis record that God worked and then he rested. God worked with all his creative power for six days, which is, which is symbolic. They're not 24-hour periods of time. It's symbolic for a period of time. And then he rested after it, referred to as the seventh day. Rest shows us who God is. God exercises restraint, even though he is all-powerful and had all the energy to keep going. But he didn't. He rested. He gave us a blueprint for how we are to live. The seventh day became known as Sabbath, which means cease from working. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Beautiful passage to read. God blessed it. So Sabbath, or rest from work, was a blessing. After the start of Genesis, Sabbath doesn't show up again in the biblical story until Exodus 16. The Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt, making bricks and buildings for Pharaoh. When they complained, their work got harder. That was their life to centuries. Their identity was defined by slavery. Taskmasters over them. Cruel taskmasters. Moses eventually led them out of Egypt and they spent 40 years travelling in the wilderness to Canaan. During that time on the way, God gave them the Ten Commandments. The first three govern their relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandments 5 to 10 give directions for our personal relationships Honouring parents, not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not coveting. And you will recognise that these commandments have been built into the laws of our land. Not murdering, not stealing. Then there is commandment number four, remember the Sabbath. More is written about the Sabbath than any other commandment. More is written about the Sabbath than any other commandment. Look, verses 8, 9, 10 and 11. Four verses about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. One day in every seven, they were to stop work and rest. But as with all the commandments, they needed constant reminders. They broke the commandments. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong arm and powerful hand, with his strong hand and powerful arm. 
probably the same thing. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Remember, reminders right through scripture of what God's intention was. So for people whose life had been slavery and drudgery, Sabbath was this wonderful gift, reminding them that their identity, who they are, was not bound up in slavery and work. Sabbath reminded them that they were creatures, not the creator. You see, silence and Sabbath realign ourselves with God's plan, God's purpose for us. We are the creatures. We are not God. And if we don't stop and take that in, we start to go on our own way of controlling our worlds and doing our own thing. Sabbath rhythm was instilled into the practices of the Israelites. So they had this uh, one day in every seven as rest and worship. But it was also in the rhythms of nature and agriculture. So one year in every seven, the land was to be rested. We call it leaving the land fallow, to regenerate the soil to be enriched again. So one year in every seven, the land was left to rest as well. Then every seven cycles of seven years, after that, that for those 49 years, was followed by what was called the Jubilee year, the 50th year. And on that year, all debts were to be cancelled, all slaves were set free, and all property was to be returned to its original owner. Imagine that in the economy of the world if that happened every 50 years. It's a picture of freedom from everything that oppresses human life. Debt, slavery, property ownership. Restoration to the original blessing which God designed for human life. Now, the Israelite people were not very good at following that particular commandment right through. But when Jesus came, he actually talked about the jubilee year of freedom that he was uh, implementing, bringing. So skipping over a few hundred years, we come to the story of Daniel that we heard before. So I'm doing this kind of like quick skip through uh, scripture so you can see where Sabbath has come from. Daniel was taken from Jerusalem by the king of Babylon in uh, around 600 BC, along with other exiles. And Daniel served the king so well that he was kind of promoted and given um, authority. But he did not succumb to the Babylonian pagan culture. He adhered to Jewish food laws and kept his faith in God, observing worship practices in contrast to the idol worship which the people around him practised in Babylon. Now, other officials, this is an interesting picture of human nature, other officials were jealous of Daniel because the king favoured him and he did well. And so they tricked the king into issuing a law forbidding the worship of any god other than the Babylonian pagan gods. What was Daniel to do? We heard about it before. 
He continued to pray to God three times a day, facing towards Jerusalem. And so his enemies reported him to the king. The king had no choice but to follow the edict that he had issued, and he threw Daniel into the lion's den. But miraculously, Daniel was unharmed. You see, the key to Daniel's character and godly life was his observance of worship and prayer in a regular discipline of three times a day. Now, by the time, so we skip from Daniel to Jesus, you know, we're going about 600 years here. By the time of Jesus, hundreds of extra rules have been added to the observance of Sabbath, so much so that Sabbath was burdensome. You know, if a, if a farmer, if something happened to the sheep, he wasn't able to, uh, you know, if a, if a sheep fell into a pit, he wasn't able to pull the sheep out. You know, all of these ridiculous rules. You were only allowed to walk certain distances. And so something like hundreds of all these little tiny rules that bound up the Sabbath. And it took the joy from what was meant to be a day of blessing. It was all about what you couldn't do. Now, Jesus said he came to give life abundant. So what did Jesus do? He gave new life to the Sabbath and to times of silence. We, just a couple of references. We, we read, um, he, taught, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He taught on the Sabbath day. He healed on the Sabbath day and got into terrible trouble with the Pharisees over that one. Healing on the Sabbath was regarded as work. Jesus' intention for the Sabbath was that it was a blessing. So what more blessing could you have than for someone to be healed on the Sabbath? He intended for the Sabbath to be a blessing to people. He also observed times of silence and prayer, staying close to Father God. Mark records, and you would have uh, come across this when you were in your uh, series on Mark. Mark 1.35, Mark records that after a day of healing, the next morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. On another occasion, in John 4, Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. He was by himself as the disciples had gone off into the city to buy food. I love that description of Jesus. Listen to it again. Jesus was tired out by his journey. He needed rest and he wanted time alone. How not that a wonderful picture of Jesus? And that became the setting for his encounter with a Samaritan woman. We haven't got time to look at that today, but that's another wonderful encounter. And then after his resurrection, Jesus gave his final instruction to his disciples in these words, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be assured of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Now these words have inspired and energised mission around the world. Go 
and make disciples of all nations. Jesus wants us to be ready to go. Now, all the world for us might be this community or your neighbourhood, your workplace, but go into all the world and make disciples. But, you know, Jesus also said to his disciples, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. That's recorded in Mark 6. Do we hear the balance in Jesus' words? Go, come away. Go, come away and rest. The rhythm of going and coming, work and rest, crowds and solitude. Hear the balance in this quote. If we pray and never do anything, God's will would never actually be done. But if we keep doing things but shun stillness and prayer, chances are our actions will be less than what is really needed. It is the rhythm of silence and action that makes it good. So how do we go about establishing rhythms of silence and Sabbath? I want to offer some concrete ways in which we can build a rhythm of silence and Sabbath into our lives because you might be thinking it's impossible for me to have a whole day of uh, Sabbath rest. Just can't do it. Um, young children or care of elderly parents or work responsibilities, whatever it might be. We are all different in our personalities, our interests, our circumstances and responsibilities. So there's not going to be one specific way in which this happens. Find the rhythm that is right for you, which might mean experimenting with a few different ways. And remember, it's a rhythm, not a rule. A rhythm, not a rule. A rhythm for yourself that actually gives you joy rather than being a duty. This is not meant to be a hard thing, even though we might call it a spiritual discipline. Discipline simply means that we keep doing it as a regular habit. Don't give up if it seems that nothing happens in your times of silence and Sabbath. You might decide to have, well, I think I'll have 10 minutes of silence. And, uh, and, you know, when you do that, don't be surprised if your mind just goes, you know, the shopping that needs to be done, da 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 We call it monkey mind. But just keep coming back to that, I want to be silent, I want to be conscious of God. And... Don't, as I said to you, don't be surprised if nothing happens because when you do it over a period of time, there will be fruit. So it's not about whether you feel God is there or not because he is there. It's trusting that that uh, simply drawing aside to pay attention to God is a reality. There is much grace to be found in the place of abiding. Giving focus to silence, to rest, to true recreation and to Sabbath is meant to be life-giving. It's meant to be a blessing. It's meant to give you joy. If all this seems too hard, just start with five minutes of silence at different times through the day. Sometimes that's, that's what I can manage in a day. Five minutes of silence here and there. And it can make a difference. And if you can't manage a whole day for a Sabbath, try half a day or several hours, or try it in a fortnight. Just be, be gracious to yourself, just like God is. Find Sabbath moments. 
And it won't happen unless you are intentional about it. It's not something kind of just waiting there for you to pick up. You actually have to do it. There will always be other calls on your time and energy, other priorities that will divert you from prayer and silence. A lovely quote from Eugene Peterson, who uh, wrote the rendition of um, the Bible called The Message. Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. Like Megan said before, what is God doing? Not is God doing something. What is God doing? Peter Scazzaro in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality talks about the practices of what we call contemplative spirituality. Silence, solitude, the daily office, meditation on scripture, prayer, Sabbath, which enable us to tune in to the awareness of God's inexhaustible love for us. Now, you don't have to put on a serious face or do only what you think is spiritual in times of silence and Sabbath. Some of the practices that I have used are very simple, like going for a walk along the beach or in the bush. And I recall probably about, it might have been yeah, 18 months ago, or a year ago, I was walking along the Strand and it was a foggy day. You couldn't even see the city. It was misty. And now this is what happens if you're intentional about these times of silence. That God actually broke into my awareness because I was actually thinking at the time, is it time for me to finish my ministry at Northern Community where I was pastoral care minister? Is it time to actually retire from formal ministry? And so this was this day I was walking along in the fog and it was like God said to me, well, it all seems foggy and misty at the moment, but it will become clear. And that's what happens. The fog lifts. Now, it didn't lift on that walk, but over that period of time, probably over a month, it became clear to me, yes, this is the time for you to finish that ministry and enter kind of, you know, retirement, whatever that might mean. Other, other simple practices, reading, journaling, listening to music, playing a musical instrument, reading a passage of scripture slowly, creating a meal and then enjoying it slowly, gardening, not that that's really one of my um, uh, Apple will attest to this. I, I buy the plants and he plants them, so that's how it happens in our... I go to Bunnings and then he plants <laughs> Creative arts, doing something relaxing, engaging in a hobby, seeing a film or a play, going to an art gallery, spending time with family or friends, having extra sleep if you are tired. And then there are times where you'll want to read slabs of scripture. You might want to have an extended time of prayer. So there are no rules about it. But you see how you can build in these practices that are seem ordinary, but can be invested with that awareness of God. And then there are other practices that require planning. So I have gone on silent retreats over... Um, probably the last 20 years, two days, three days, five days. 
that's the maximum time I've had of silence. And it's very interesting what happens in those silent times. But it's not something that you do necessarily every year. And last year I went on a pilgrimage with a group from an Anglican church in England to the holy island of Lindisfarne, which is off the northeast coast of England. And then, you've been there? Oh, it's a wonderful place, isn't it? And then across Scotland to Iona in the far west. Both places have been centres of Celtic Christian faith, which have kept a tradition of prayer and worship since the 6th century. So we're talking about nearly 1,500 years of prayer and worship happening daily in these places, even surviving the Viking raids. They are called thin places, a thin place is where the distance between heaven and earth is meant to be very, very thin. So the, these places where they've been kind of immersed in prayer for centuries have that kind of added depth and awareness of God's presence. And being a pilgrim rather than a tourist enables you to experience that way. Silence and Sabbath are about having God at the centre of our lives, realigning our lives with his purpose, realigning our identity with what God says to us. You are my beloved child. My favour rests on you. So whatever ways you do that, and they might change through the seasons of your life, remember that they are meant to renew you, to refresh you, and to be a blessing of joy in your life. May that be so for each one of us. As I conclude this message, we're going to have a few moments of silence in which you will hear the words of Jesus for you. And they come from the message rendition of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. So I invite you to uh, close your eyes. And just sit quietly. You might like to have your hands open. Be aware of your breathing. The Hebrew people actually used the word Yahweh for God. And Yahweh, you can actually say that on your breath. Be aware that God says to you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. My favour rests on you. And then Jesus says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. 
learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus continued to speak into our lives this week about where we can carve out those margins in our life, where we can stop and be aware of your spirit within us. Help us to be faithful. Help each one of us to live into our identity as beloved children of God. And as you have so incredibly blessed us, may we also live into that blessing and be a blessing to others. Amen.